Welcome to the From Point A podcast. I'm your host, Brian Corbett. This is a show about government officials transitioning in and out of government. It's not about politics, policy, or regulation. This is a conversation focused on careers, the decisions we make and didn't make, and the consequences that we have to deal with. I hope you enjoy the conversation. My guest today is Kevin Sullivan, who was White House Communications Director under President George W. Bush. He now is the founder and president and CEO of Kevin Sullivan Communications. Uh, Sully has a really interesting career. He grew up as one of four kids in Illinois. His dad was a first-generation American. His dad worked as an executive at John Hancock, and his mom worked in a local hospital. Neither parent went to college. Sully went to Purdue University in Indiana, where he worked in the sports information office. He got his first job by jumping into his car and driving from Indiana to Dallas to interview for a new NBA basketball team called the Dallas Mavericks. He had no connection to Dallas, but he knew, leaving Purdue, that he wanted to work in sports, and this was an available job. So in true Sully fashion, he saw the opportunity and took it. He went to Dallas, interviewed, and he never left. Right out of college, he became the first hire in the communications department for a new NBA team. And over time, he soon was running the entire department. He spent 18 years working for the Dallas Mavericks. I was lucky enough to catch up with Sully while he was in town for the Bush reunion in September. Uh, He is a senior advisor to the George W. Bush Library and worked very hard on organizing a terrific reunion where over 3,000 Bush alums were in town. Uh, Sully, thanks for joining me today. So you ultimately spent 18 years in Dallas with the Mavericks, and then you decided to leave and actually move to New York. Talk a little bit about how you decided to leave sports, because your career to that point had been in sports. I would have thought you'd right. continue down that path, and well, something, but you really did something different. Uh, my last year with the Mavericks, I, had, I was loaned out uh, as, a, as a loan executive to the Dallas 2012 Olympic Bid Committee, which was a blast. Now, that was a non-sports job you know, meeting with city councils and doing a lot of public speaking around the region. But, but I had, I really was looking to, for another opportunity. 18 years was a long time and, and had really was sort of ready for the next thing. Uh, But anyway, what happened was I I was working on the Dallas 2012 project as a Mavericks employee. And we had, um, uh, my wife and I at that time had, had uh, three kids and had bought an old house and spent every dollar that we had renovating this house in Lake Highlands in, in Dallas. And uh, in December of 1999, uh, weeks after we had moved in, I got a phone call from a guy named Kevin Monahan at NBC Sports asking me if I was interested in the VP of Communications position there. And I was excited. They had offered the job, by the way, to multiple people, and it had been turned on. I was aware that this job was open. didn't occur to me really to pursue it. New York was a little... Uh, not that I didn't think I could handle New York, but just the hassles and you know all the stuff that comes with living and working there, it just seemed to be I, I don't know. And the timing seemed all wrong. And plus the Knicks, I mean, plus really the Knicks, you know. No, I, the Knicks ended up becoming a client, so I'm pro Knicks. But <laughs> I, I love everybody. So uh, at this point, so uh, uh, but what happened here is interesting to me anyway. Is is that. I, I mentioned to my wife, Joe, Joanne, you know, I said, we got this opportunity to talk to NBC. Uh, 
you know, the timing's all wrong. And she said to me, this would be like going to grad school for you. This sounds like a grown-up job. It's a national job. Why don't you want to pursue this? You know, so I'm fortunate to have her uh, in my corner. And, and I always tell, again, young people, surround yourself with good people and only confide when you have an opportunity or a big decision to make. Don't crowdsource it. You know, don't overshare. You know, talk to the people who you only, who you are sure have only your best interests at heart. Uh, and somebody told me, you know, your friends want to see you do well, but not that well. So, you know, really be careful about who you, who you, so we had a kind of a small group of, of people that we, that we talked to about this. And I kept going back to the timing is, is all wrong, which is sort of the next lesson that I learned is don't let a short-term inconvenience like selling a house that you've lived in for 11 weeks and don't have any money for a down payment. Don't let those short-term problems keep you from a long-term great opportunity. And so I went through the interview process, was offered the job, and, and in February of 2000, you know, we moved to New, moved to New York, and I started this role heading up comms at, 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 NBC, at NBC Sports, which was a fascinating time to be there. Now, it was a sports job, but it really was a corporate communications job, owned by GE at the time, fascinating experience, great people, a lot of similarities with the Bush uh, experience, by the way. Uh, uh, I might there may be more politics at NBC than there are at the White House, uh, but it was a phenomenal experience with really talented, committed people, uh, and I learned a ton in in those uh, four and a half plus years I was I was at NBC, and just to finish that chapter, uh, I did uh, after four and a half years in sports I jumped the fence to NBC Universal for an SVP job in corporate communications on the corporate side. Uh, and I did that for a, a while, and that was also a great experience before the the Bush uh, administration came into my, my 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 life. So all in, you were at NBC for about five five six uh, years. Yeah, ex exactly. From February of two thousand to May of oh five. And during that time, you also went back and got a master's degree. Um, I did. So you, you went know, to I had, to I had right? an experience uh, uh, helping an adjunct professor, John Cirillo, a friend of mine who used to be the VP of Communications with the Knicks, taught at NYU. And he asked me to help him, and so I was—I wasn't officially on the adjunct faculty, but I was—I was approved to teach this course with him. I did a lot of it on my own, uh, a, a strategic communications course at NYU, and I loved it. And I thought, you know, I may—I may, may want to teach someday. So I—I I looked around. Uh, Joe helped me. Let's figure out—is there a way you could get a master's degree while working at NBC? And Iona at that time was on tri trimesters, which meant you could do it fast. And it was on the train line. It was on the Metro North. I went, you know, I could stop in New Rochelle on my way to where we lived in Valhalla. And uh, so I did it at night for, I did it fast, about 18 months. And it, that was also a great experience. And uh, uh, learned a lot. I didn't think I would learn anything. I, I was doing it to have a credential. And it was a great experience. And that program, uh, there's a program now, a sports management program. I was in the regular communications uh, master's program. But that's a good, a good school. And I had a good experience there at, at Iona. That's great. Uh, now I want to switch to your time in the government because right. I have to say, Sully, going from Dallas Mavericks to NBC Sports, NBC Universal, and then finding your way to your first government job in the Department of Education seems so random. Yeah, it's, it is random. It, 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 I don't see the connections. Usually when people go into government, there's some connection to what they've been doing or, or some industry or right. expertise they have here. It seems like you obviously have expertise in communications, but the education world seemed totally different it's, it's, it's a nuts. pretty complicated world from a policy perspective so right how did how did you and joe make the decision and, and how did it even come your way 
Well, I mentioned Tom Lewis a few minutes ago. Tom was an attorney who represented the Perot family, Russ Perot Jr. on the Mavericks after Donald Carter Jr. before Mark Cuban. So I met Tom through Ross Pro Jr. Tom led the Dallas 20, 2012 effort that I mentioned I was a part of. And he was a mentor to me. He was a, he's a brilliant guy. He, he has a huge heart. And his avocation is public education reform. In fact, today he is leading an effort. He'll never retire. Uh, Texas 2036, which is a big policy effort for the 200th anniversary of the state of Texas. So there's so Tom Luce is the key to this. So Tom... January of 2005, President Bush has just, the second inauguration has just happened, and I'm riding the Metro North one day uh, from our home in Westchester to go to work at 30 Rock. I'm in the corporate job now at NBC Universal, and I get an email on my BlackBerry from Tom. Uh, Tom is a very efficient person. The email says, would you be interested in a senior communications position with the administration in Washington? And I wrote back to him and I said, you mean the Wizards? <laughs> because, you know, uh, I, I, I had a sense this might have something to do with the U.S. Department of Education because that was his right. life's passion uh, was education reform. And I also knew that there were not adjectives in the English language to describe how little interest I had in whatever this was. You know, I was what was how was I going to explain to these guys at NBC Universal, Bob Wright, Randy Falco, others who had taken a chance on the sports guy to put me in this big corporate job, uh, a, not less than a year after the merger with Universal company had doubled in size. We have you know, theme parks and movie studio. We got all this cool stuff I'm learning and I'm a part of now. And I'm going to leave this for the U.S. Department of Education. Are you nuts? You know, I used to say uh, I went from from Thirty Rock to what was then known as Federal Building Number Six. It's like the glamorous to the unglamorous. But there was no way. I, I had no interest. But out of respect to Tom, you know, of course, I, I said, let's talk about it. So he called me and he said, you're going to hear from a woman named Margaret Spellings, who I had never heard of. He said she's very close with President Bush. She was the domestic policy advisor in the first term. I thought that might be something like what Josh Lyman did on the TV show, <laughs> The West Wing. So I kind of had a sense for that. Uh, but I... I I didn't, I didn't really, uh, of course I was going to talk to her. So sure enough, uh, and uh, late January of 05, uh, I get a call from Margaret Spellings while she was on hold. I Googled her. Uh, she had just been sworn in as the U S secretary of education. I told her I was honored that she called and really flattered and that I would help her any way I could. But I said, madam secretary, you got the wrong guy. This is my opening salvo, you know? And, 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 and she said, well, will you at least come and meet me for lunch? And I said, of course, you know, I'm really, really, you know, really th thrilled that you called. I had never been involved in politics. I had voted for president Bush twice. Uh, you know, so I, I had no issues there. I mean, right. I was all in on him and his leadership and, and all, all that. Um, so sure enough, uh, you know, and I said, she's so busy. She has so much to do. 50, 50 shot. This lunch ever even happens. Right. Well, 20 minutes later, I get a phone call. This is on a Wednesday. Can you be here Saturday? So I say, sure. You know, so so I, I took, I flew the U.S. Airways, you know, shuttle from LaGuardia that morning. And I'm sort of trudging across the parking lot early on this really cold first Saturday of February morning in 2005. And I out loud, I said to myself, what a waste of time this is going to be. So this is how stupid I am. So I, I, I get there, and we met at the Majestic in Old Town Alexandria. 
And uh, she came in, again, always on a mission. And <clears throat> we sat down. And before we even ordered, she looked at me over the top of her menu. And she was kind of banging the, the table. And she said, I don't know what you'll do after NBC, but this will be the most important thing you've done so far. I'm putting a team together. It's going to be great. I'm only getting great people. The work is really important. We don't have a lot of time. It's going to be great for your family. You're going to love the president. And I, I won't make a move without you. When it comes to message and strategy, I promise you will always be in the room. What do you say? And I'm thinking, wow, you know, yeah. this was, uh, I'm thinking about the grilled chicken salad. You know, I'm thinking, I just got offered this job. You know, we haven't, we just, we just met. But Tom Luce's recommendation was, was all she needed, you know, and the power of relationships. Everything good that's happened to me professionally came from a relationship that I had in place. And, and so I loved that look in her eye, you know, the sense of purpose. You know, I loved my experience at NBC Universal. I never felt it was real important or meaningful. It was meaningful from the sense of providing entertainment and, and, and that kind of stuff. But I just loved this, this, the look in her eye, you know. And, and at one point she said to me, um, you know, she said, what do you say? And, and uh, I was aware that I was being asked to serve. Right. And Tom had said to me, he said, before this meeting, he said, you know, people toil in the political vineyard for years to get these kind of opportunities to head up communications at a government agency. And it was a big job. You know, uh, there were 10 regional offices. I mean, there was a lot of stuff there that, that would be interesting. And, uh, and I knew they were only going to ask once. So we had a great conversation about it. At one point, she said, uh, by the way, I know we just met, but have you ever done anything that will keep us from hiring you? And I said, well, how far back do they check? And she said, for all for the big stuff, 18. And I said, boy, I don't know, but we'll, you know, <laughs> stand by. You yeah, know, we'll deal so with that. We'll deal with that later. But, but um, so I, we, I walked out of the Majestic and I called Joe and I said, we got a little bit of a situation here. And uh, she was all for it from the beginning. You know, she has a great sense of adventure and and uh, she thought it would be great for our family. We had, you know, five plus years in, in New York. Uh, great situation there. But, you know, it's a it's an intense situation and it's a hard place at times. And although I, I, although I loved it, you know, and great people there, too, and, and all that. But uh, I slow played it. I, my biggest concern was what am I going to tell these executives at mm -hmm. NBC Universal that took a chance on me? How am I going to explain going to the U.S. Department of Education? It's, you know. I always say to people, you know, the, the, well, the work is important, you know, but it, it's, it's, it didn't appear to be a great fit or right, glamorous. Right. And I even said to Margaret, you know, I said, I don't know anything about any of this, you know, government, education, policy. She said, I don't need a policy expert. I need a communications expert. You know, come on. I slow played it, make a long story end. Uh, there came a fateful day. I had started the background check, but even really before I had given an answer. And it was slow playing that. FBI paid me a visit. FBI paid me a visit at NBC Universal at 30 Rock. You know, we did the, the interview. But I slow played it. I was agonizing. I wasn't sleeping at night. Meanwhile, Margaret's calling my wife. Nicole, she had Nicole <laughs> yeah, Wallace call me. The full court press was on, which, again, was an honor, you know, to, to, right. to, uh, you know, to, to have that opportunity. Um, but I, was, I really had anguish over how was I going to explain this to people. First of all, I was going to out myself as a Bush person at NBC. Uh, you know, I did lose temporarily a couple of friends, you know, when, when I went into the administration, that all got fixed in fairly short order. Uh, but that made me a little bit 
you know, not not that I not that it was a reason not to do it, but I was aware that that was kind of in the mix. Uh, and one day, one fateful day, I had to decide. And Margaret, we had, had a phone call outside by the skating rink. I remember on my cell phone, and she said to me, "You know, if you don't do this, you're kind of being a dumbass." <laughs> and I, I, I said to myself, "You know, you don't want to be called a dumbass by the Secretary of Education." So I said, "Okay, I'll, I'll do it." And I broke the news to to my bosses at NBC, and they. Some were more supportive than others, again, right. which was an, was, was an honor that they, you know, I was flattered that they didn't want me to leave and, and all that. Um, but we left. And, and Nicole, when I had, I had gone to the White House to meet with Nicole Wallace when she was the communications director, never in a million years imagining that I would one day be in that job, right. which is even crazier than getting a job in education. But um, Nicole said to me, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, you got to jump off a cliff. Yeah. That's and true. it's okay, and and uh, and I and those words uh, meant something t- to me, and her support and encouragement meant something to me. Were meaningful, and so you know what, we decided to go for it. And I knew almost instantly once we got to D.C. that it was a good thing, right? And it was going to be good for my family, and it was going to be a great adventure. But again, never imagining it would lead to to the White House. So, so a, a couple observations. One is, you know, in talking to some of our former colleagues through this series, I've learned that. When people make their career decisions, they have their group of people they talk to, they analyze it. You can't worry about what other people are going to think about the decision that you've decided is best for you. Because if right. you let those third parties and other people judge you, it affects how you right. operate and, and, well, and push into a bad decision. And, you know, I've mentioned the impact and the influence of my dad a couple times in this conversation. And he was an enormous uh, influence on me. And he didn't like this idea. You know, yeah. he's a Depression-era guy. Security, stability yeah. was everything. He said to me, I don't like this. He said, you're going to be, when this is over, you know, in, in January of 2009, you're going to be 50 years old looking for a job just like the one you have now. And you're going to have less money than you would have and less in the bank, less saved and all that. And uh, and that 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 was tough, too, because, I, you know, he, he, he wasn't telling me what to do. And he was not a big advice giver. He was a supportive person, but he stepped out on the ledge there a little bit. And so when I decided to do it, uh, we, we met at my sister's place in, in Boston and I pulled him aside, just the two of us. And I said, Dad, I'm going to I'm going to do that education thing. And he put his arm around me and said, I'm all in. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And that was a cool moment. Yeah. And uh, and then, of course, when I got the White House job, he said, I told you that education <laughs> thing wasn't big enough for you. But it was big enough. And it was and that was cool, too. And. And uh, and I learned a great deal there, and again worked with great people, and and uh, had a great experience. You know, the, your your jump to the White House is a, is a, another interesting story because one of the things when I talk to about talk to people about going into the government, it's don't wait for like the perfect role. So here you went to right. DOE, which is on paper was not a perfect role, but you put yourself into kind of an ecosystem where you're networking, you're meeting people, and your name is out there and it makes you easier to jump to something else. So right. many people I talked to, well, I'm going to wait for this perfect job at Treasury or DOD. And it doesn't really work that way with government. You got to kind of right. take a jump well, and get in the mix and then navigate. And really the only person I confided in early on at NBC was uh, Ken Shanzer, who was who was one of my bosses in, in sports. He was the president of NBC Sports. I worked for he and Dick Eversall, Eversall being the chairman. And Chancer had worked in D.C. and had worked on, on campaigns and had worked at the NAB and and really knew knew the world. Had been a speechwriter at one point, and 
he said to me, he, we made a list of pros and cons on the phone one night late. I still have it. And, and one of the things he said was, Margaret Spellings is close to President Bush, number one. Number two, this is a policy a topic that he campaigned on and that is important to him and Mrs. Bush. So for those two reasons, you have no idea where this might right. lead. Right. And, so and true. he gave me it was it was sensational advice and and um, and and that's what happened it was right. the the Margaret connection was how I got from education to you know to uh, Dan Bartlett had heard about me through her and 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 that's sort of how how it kind of it, it it came to be that when Nicole left to move to New York I had an opportunity to interview and and then that of course was a whole nother life changing out of body uh, kind of experience. So you were at DOE for about how long? 13 months. So 13 yeah. months. And then the call came to interview for the White House communication job, which I'm, is I was, I was in a meeting. Position. I was in a meeting in the secretary's conference room one morning, got an email on my BlackBerry once again. Uh, Amanda Burdick, now Amanda Beavis, was Dan's assistant, emailed me and said, Dan wants to know if you can be here at 3 o'clock. And I knew that Nicole was leaving, and I, and I texted or emailed probably at that point my wife and said, I got called to go to the White House at, at three o'clock, Bartlett didn't go. The president had gone overseas, I think, to NATO. Dan didn't go on the trip. Uh, I, Dan always said we got to talk Mavericks because he's a Dallas guy, and uh, you know, and, and he and he shared some of those stories on this very uh, podcast. Which, if you haven't listened to the Bartlett one, everybody go check that one out. Uh, and uh, and so I thought, no. Nah. So I emailed my wife and right. said I'm, I got called to the White House, but I think Bartlett just wants to talk about sports. And catch up because he always said we got to get some time together, and of course Joanne wrote back and said no, they're going to talk to you about Nicole's job, and I, you know, so I went in to to see Dan, nervous, anxious, and we talked for 15 minutes and it never came up, and I was almost relieved, and so finally he said, well I'm here to I'm going to quit beating around the bush, I'm here to talk to you about Nicole's job, and really it was uh, it was uh, just. You know, I had no feeling, you know, kind of beneath my waist. I think at that point it was uh, an incredible. I was overwhelmed with this this possibility, knowing that there would be a lot of other candidates and and um, but interested. And I just said to him immediately, I said, I'm in. What do you need? I'll do anything. What do you want me to do? Uh, I didn't you know, it's not the kind of thing I didn't oversell, but I let him know like there was no. I was in if, if I had the opportunity. And he said to me, he said, you know, it's not mandatory, but if you want to, he said the first thing you would work on would be planning the first anniversary of Katrina, fifth anniversary of 9-11. Uh, you know, the president doesn't get a lot of credit for the economy. At that time, he was in the middle of that run of 58 or whatever the number ended up being, consecutive months of job growth because of the difficulties in Iraq at that time, you know, the spring of 06, summer of 06, uh, you know, he didn't, the, we didn't get that many opportunities to tout the economy. He danced that. Oh, and by the way, we're going to take on immigration. So, um, you know, why don't you write some notes about how you would handle the messaging and the strategy around comprehensive immigration reform? Honestly, I barely knew what it was, you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and so I went home that night and I was, you know, kind of on the, the bottom level of our yeah. townhouse in Springfield. And I'm sitting on the floor cross-legged with my laptop and I'm writing all this stuff and I'm giggling to myself like these guys want to know what I think about comprehensive immigration reform strategy and messaging. But I learned, you know, I, I told myself, you know, the skills do translate, you know, and I always encourage people don't pigeonhole yourself. You know, don't think you can only do one thing. 
I don't know if those documents were ever read by anybody, but I did take a couple days and put some thoughts down for Dan. I had nine interviews. Wow. Uh, twice with Josh Bolton. That's sort of White House life. Things go so fast. Uh, sometimes you need a, a refresher. But uh, in that second interview, he was eating fortune cookies left over from a, a Chinese dinner. You know, the White House is an eat lunch at your desk kind of place. And he pulled out a, a fortune out of one of them, and he said, you might want to keep this. And he handed it to me, and it said, your talents will soon be rewarded. <laughs> so I was like, whoa. But that didn't mean I was getting the job. But, um, and the fateful day came when uh, I had an interview in uh, July 7th or something of 06 with President Bush in the Oval Office. And, uh, you know, just how do you prepare for that? Bartlett had told me it would be personal in nature. It was kind of a, a chemistry check. Uh, so don't worry about prepping too much. Be yourself. He just wants to get a feel. And right. so, I, I, you know, it's funny. You know, we all know in Bush world, you know, on time is 10 or 15 minutes early. You always have to be prepared to to, to go early. As somebody who briefed the president on many occasions, right. you know that all, all too well. Uh, when you were in the role of the insurance man, as he used to call you after Katrina, you, you learned that many times. But uh, so I got there really early. Ultimately, uh, David Scherzer came out and gave me the signal. The president's ready to see you. We walked in. I felt like I was walking onto a movie set. I had only seen the Oval Office on the tour. I uh, couldn't believe I was there. I was nervous. I said, shook President Bush's hand. I said, sir, it's an honor to be here. He said, yeah, it is. It is for me, too. Take a look around. Isn't this great? Oval Office. You know, and I was immediately put at ease, which is what he does right. for people, you know, and and I sat down, and he said to me, you know, I know you're with Margaret at Education, and I know you work for the Mavericks and at NBC, but where are you from? And I said, Chicago, sir, White Sox, not Cubs. And he laughed, and he looked at Bartlett and said, we got a baseball fan. And uh, so this is the second job I, I got by being a White Sox fan, maybe. But uh, the, what I had thought this up because I knew that my sports connection with him would be a connector. But I also didn't want to come across like some guy that was in a bunch of fantasy leagues and had nothing else to offer. You know, and I just thought this would be the way to, to do it. And, and, um, and so we talked a little bit about sports. That would be a theme, you know, kind of throughout sure. my time uh, there. Uh, but just an incredible conversation. And so as we finished the interview, he said, well, if this was a test, you passed. And he looked at Bartlett and said, I'm comfortable. And I just, the blood drained out of my head. And I thought, I, you know, I, I think I might actually be getting this this job uh, I hope I'm ready I you know and it took another week for them to actually call me with the job offer I was driving Bartlett said to me uh, are you driving I said yes he said you better pull over you're going to be the next uh, White House communications director again another one of those life-changing moments we've all been gone from there more than 10 years right. and I think about it every single day you know, with gratitude for that somehow I had that opportunity, even though I was from outer space in, in terms of the, the political world. Uh, you know, Tony Snow had started the march before me. I started in July of 06. Josh had succeeded Andy Card as chief of staff. The president and Josh had said, let's look to the private sector. Right. Let's look for some non-traditional hires. And I benefited from that open-mindedness. And mostly, you know, too, you know, my wife, you know, 36 years now. And, um, None of this happens without her because she was willing to take all these chances and jump off these cliffs with me and give me great advice uh, along the way.
Well, Kevin, you had an, an awesome ride from the Mavericks to NBC to Department of Education to White House Communications Director and all these decisions you made along the way that led you to that spot. But ultimately, you did have to leave. The president's term was ending. One of the themes we've explored on this podcast is how do you think about the transition out of government? We all have different stories for how we get in, but I'm always interested in, in how people think about their exit and setting themselves up for the next stage of their career. So as that time was coming to an end, what was your thought process around what you wanted to do next? I, I had this, I, I was aware that I had an unusual set of experiences, sports, corporate, White House, and how rare and unique that really is. And I thought, I need to, I need to put that to, to use. And a regular you know, VP of corporate communications at a great company, I felt like I had done that at NBC Universal. Uh, and and so I, I people started telling me you should go out on your own. And I never aspired to work for myself. I consider myself a team guy. I, I love the camaraderie and and the leadership and management stuff. And I just I don't consider myself a, a sole proprietor. Uh, I'm a team guy, you know, and, and yet I was aware that this might be the best way for me to to um, have some new adventures, do some new things, do a lot of different things. And, and, and have some financial upside, too, quite honestly, you know, that, that I could have a little bit of control of my destiny. Uh, you know, I was aware after all those experiences that what you can earn in a job is directly linked to what you get paid on your first day. Uh, incremental raises, you know, kind of along the way. And, and so I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go for it. And then Tom Luce comes back into the picture here in the form of his son, Ken, who at that time uh, had, a, had a prominent role at Weber Shanwick, the big agency, and, and, and Ken had talked to me about going to Weber, and ultimately I, I, I decided not to do that. And then he came back and said, well, what about a part-time, just sort of senior advisor role? And that gave me sort of the safety net. So when I jumped off of that cliff, that if my own business didn't work, at least I had some money coming in uh, uh, to, to kind of take on the debt that we took on during those, during those, uh, those uh, government years. And, and, and so, so with that safety net at Weber Samick, which was another great experience, I, I launched our, you know, Kevin Sullivan Communications, stayed up all night trying to come up with a clever name, and that's, that's what I came <laughs> up with. And uh, just decided to try to do uh, sports, corporate, nonprofit, media training, speech and presentation skills, coaching, social media crisis issues, whatever, just sort of as much as I could, just sort of just attacked it, to be honest with you. And no question. I mean, uh, and this is this is one reason why uh, I'm a big believer that Bush Cheney alumni should support the Bush Center and the work that goes on there is because uh, everything good that's happened to me since January of 2009, so much of it professionally would not have happened or would not have happened the way it has happened had I not had that experience with President and Mrs. Bush. Uh, so it, and it all sort of fell in place. And I, 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 the business has grown every year. I, a lot of opportunities, a lot in sports, but also right. some in those other sectors, including education. And is it still just you or you? Have you? Yeah, it's me. And, 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 and Joe is it with the business okay. uh, in the business with me. Uh, she's an attorney and does, you know, the, a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, but we use independent contractors as opposed to employees, I got it. many of whom, by the way, are, are fellow, uh, Bush Cheney alums. And, uh, and I just, you know, I, I, uh, I'm grateful every day for, for, uh, for the clients we have today and for the experiences that I've had, which sort of teed all this up. So 
you didn't mention this, but I'm going to, is that you, you have published a book as well <laughs> called Breaking yeah. Through Communications Lessons from the Locker Room, the Boardroom, and the Oval Office, which is your your business thesis. You've come from these three different worlds and, right. and your practice represents, you know, your experiences from it. You know, it's a very interesting read, a number of very good stories that illustrate some of the, the career decisions you've had to make. If you were to summarize sort of the guidance from this for, you know, a young professional or, you know, someone who's looking to, you know, impress their boss with their communication skills, what would be the big takeaways for folks? Number one is relationships are the most important thing. No question about it. Uh, work at, uh, at maintaining the relationships that are meaningful. You don't have to maintain relationships with everybody, but choose the people that enrich your life, uh, that are fun, that are smart, that complement your skills. That's it. You know, I mean, and 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 then you give back to them. You know, don't let them only hear from you when you need advice on something. And, and I'll give you an example. Tonight, we're recording this on a Monday. The New Orleans Saints are opening their season tonight. And that's been a client of ours since the very beginning. They were the first team that ever hired me to, as, a, as to do media training. And that team and that organization means a great deal to me. The day, you know, the day training camp opens, those guys hear from me, you know, and today when I leave here on the way out of here, I'll shoot a text to Greg Bensel and Doug Miller and the, the comms team at the Saints to say, you know, who that tonight for, for, for good luck in the game. Now, it's kind of funny because sometimes I have clients competing against each other and uh, and but but work, look for inflection points, look for natural places when your people what it would be a natural time to reach out to someone that you've met, you know, when their company is in the news or whatever it might be. So you're not bombing in from, from, right. for no reason, uh, or bomb in for no reason with a hello, how, how is it going? Uh, but work, working on maintaining relationships and don't hundred percent rely on social media, texting, emailing, you know, write a handwritten note once in a while, pick up the phone once in a while. And, 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 and really, uh, you know, um, it's it's fun and it will enrich your life. And it, you don't do it because one day it might help you, but one day it might help you. Mm -hmm. It's, it's kind of how it works. Yeah, through everything you've done, you you must have a just massive network of relationships and people, and it's hard to stay on top of. I mean, you you talk about how you you know you'll send some notes to people. Do you have a systematic way that you kind of? curate your network and stay in touch with people not, or is it sort not of really more episodic not really i um it's it's more episodic and it's kind of like the saints example where i think what's happening now that gives me a natural reason to tell that person i'm thinking about him today you know J jim Connaughton i ran into over the weekend the former uh who ran the president's council on environmental quality he said to me when you're traveling for business try to add in two additional touch points you know, go see, go have, go have breakfast with that person that you haven't seen in five right. years or, or that someone that you have something in common with, maybe somebody you could help or whatever. I think that's great advice. You do have to work at it, but it, you get energy back, you know, when you, when you do those things. And, and, uh, I, I really kind of do it more by the, what's a natural reason. Are you a big social media guy when it comes to Facebook and yeah, you know, um, it, it's funny. I, I, I'm on all the platforms. Uh, I would like to be more active on Twitter. I'm conflicted because I would love to opine more than I do, but because I have the good fortune of working for so many different teams and companies and in sectors, I don't want to be critical, even though I might have a point of view on something. 
uh, because it's not good for business. You know, I've stayed away from partisan stuff ever since we left the White House. That was never my favorite part of it anyway. It's not good for business. You know, now if you're going to if you're going to put yourself out as a Republican strategist, that's a different matter. But for me, that wasn't what I was right. what I was going to do. So I wish I, I always look for ways to be a little more uh, compelling on Twitter. That takes time. And I don't make the time to, to do that as well. Uh, so I kind of use it more more for, for business than personal. Uh, but even business, it's it's a little bit uh, limited. So I'm not the greatest on social media, but I, I, I pay attention to it and I, I, I study it. Well, Kevin, thank you very much for your time. I mean, hearing the story about you showing up at Purdue and then Dallas, the lesson of persistence and, and trying to create those opportunities and then maintaining these relationships and the importance of relationships and, and your jobs as you move forward. I think those are all really valuable lessons for folks. But I appreciate your time. Wish you continued good luck with the business and, and continued good success and look forward to seeing you again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, Corbs. The show is produced by Sarah Langauer.